You're listening to the podcast from Withington Christian Church. For more information, visit withingtonchristian.church. Okay, if you can turn with me to uh, Matthew 13. While you do that, let me just introduce myself. Um, my name is uh, Andrew Dykes. I work for Partnership UK, uh, which is basically set up originally by... Um, the network of brethren churches, but probably not so exclusive as it was. Um, so churches join us from elsewhere. And it seeks to help independent churches. So uh, churches are independent that want to come together for advice or help or to encourage each other or to share resources. Um, that was why we originated and how we originated. Um, I, I work as a regional coordinator. So I, I work for a North England and basically my job across those partnership churches but further afield now as well really is to be the first port of call to people who've got questions so it might be about mission it might be about funding it might be some uh, legal matter or it might be just uh, some things about fellowship or advice about a situation in the church and it's somebody that churches could come to outside who could uh, be able to help them and the idea is like Thunderbird 1, anyone knows Thunderbirds? Thunderbird 1 goes there first and figures out what needs to be done and then sets up something that might help. And so I, I'm there if I can help, I will do. If not, I can probably put people in touch with folks who can help them. And we work alongside counties and echoes and people like that as well. So they would be our sister organisations and would encourage us in that work. Uh, Church Growth Trust is another one. Um, so um, I've been doing in that role for about five, five, six, seven years now. And when I first started, there was no regional coordinator, so I had to go out and introduce myself to all the churches. That's changed now over those years, and um, I'm now reactionary, as it should be, really, so the churches drive that, rather than like me driving it and saying, can we do this, or can we help with this, or is there anything you can do to help us in this? And that's my job, so um, officially it's two days a week. It really isn't two days a week, so if I told you next week uh, that I'll be caught up between Thursday and Sunday all day every day until 8.30 on Sunday nights I get back probably um, that's I mean that's that's an unusual but then I've also got stuff on Wednesday and Tuesday so it does take a, a lot more time than that but it's for me it's a it's a mission I've always wanted to be about God's work and I'm in a position in life now where my kids are grown up and to some degree can look after themselves and I want to do something for the kingdom of God simple as that my wife is the same she feels the same way so we are sort of in this together so we serve in a local fellowship where we are and love being part of that um, but the stuff we do in partnership as well is a, a second avenue for service for us. Talking of the kingdom of God, what a, what a link, if I could only be this good every week. Uh, Matthew 13 is, is fantastic and I'd love to read the whole chapter, there won't be time to do that um, but I will read uh, from verse 31 uh, right through verse 52. This is Jesus uh, speaking here and uh, in verse 31 he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of your seeds yet when it grows it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. 
Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophets. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. Then he left the, the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the, the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out his kingdom, out of his kingdom, everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of the Father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he find, found one of greater value, of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. They sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things, Jesus asked? Yes, they replied. He said to them, therefore, every teacher of the law who has been instructed about the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. So I ask you this morning, have you understood all these things? Because if you have, then you can be like a storekeeper who brings out old things and new things, says Jesus himself. I find it interesting that um, scripture, and particularly in the Gospels, you find this phrase, the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven used over and over again. Sometimes we play it down but we really shouldn't. So it's interesting, you've been told next week to start uh, reading the uh, Sermon on the Mount. And for those of you who are familiar with the Sermon on the Mount, it starts uh, with the Beatitudes. And the first of those is, blessed is the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So we've got this phrase, even at the start of the Beatitudes before, and this is the first time that we get Jesus' words spoken publicly uh, written down in terms of sermon form. So this is a sermon. So Jesus starts, ironically, with a, uh, a statement about the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. Again, when Jesus teaches uh, his disciples to pray, it's again within that same uh, portion of scripture, uh, he starts by saying, our Father in heaven, this is how you should pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, and we get that know that I learnt it in school because I use King James there, that's uh, the language that I, I learnt it in. Uh, but the first thing that we cry out to God is interesting, so the first thing that's a cry to God, so we, we, we acknowledge who we're addressing and 
who we're talking to. We're talking to the Almighty. But the first thing that Jesus teaches us to pray is, Thy kingdom come. Now just stop and think about that for a moment. So, I don't know about you, but imagine if you prayed along those lines this morning before you came here. The first thing you would be praying is, Lord, may your kingdom come. What do we mean by that? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May we see the lordship of Jesus Christ where we live. When we, when we see people coming under his rule, under his thing. And ultimately, may we see the day when he returns and the kingdoms of the earth will become the kingdoms of our God and Christ and he will reign forever. That's what we're praying for. Thy kingdom come. Again, when you look at the preaching of Jesus, it's interesting in Matthew's gospel uh, that it tells us uh, Jesus came preaching good news. Now, the word there is a good message, literally. So if you ever hear the word evangelical or evan- evangel, that's the word that she is there. And, and an- angelos is just messenger. And a- angelia is message. So it's just a, a message. And you, the bit that cut the front or, or the EV that we put on the front, is just good. So it's a good message. So Jesus pre- comes preaching a good message. And he says, Matthew 1.17, the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent. So the message of Jesus is summed up by Matthew. The kingdom of heaven is near. Repent. Uh, Mark sums it up like this. The kingdom of God is near. Repent. And Luke says, 4 verse 43, uh, that Jesus spoke the good news of the kingdom of God. So get an idea there. Firstly, if you want to try and separate the the kingdom of God from the kingdom of heaven, be careful, because the gospel writers don't do that. Jesus comes preaching the good news of the kingdom of God, the good news of the kingdom of heaven. uses those two phrases. So it doesn't see a difference. So when they are summing up the ministry of Jesus, they'll use either phrase. So it's interesting as a starting point that we need to be a little bit careful. So what, what do we mean when we're talking about the kingdom of God? Well, if you were to go back uh, historically, you would look at this, um, this picture that is there right from the beginning of how God creates uh, a man and a woman and puts them in a place in a garden and has them under his rule. So there's an almighty God who has a people and a place. And he says to them, you live in that place it's good. In fact, it's more than that, isn't it? Because when we're told at that point that it's very good. So God looks at it and says, this is very good. People who live under my rule in a place. And of course that's marred because of sin. Adam is tempted. If you take the fruit, you'll be like God. You won't need him anymore. It'll just be us and the land. And everything will be perfect without him in the picture. And of course they believe the devil's lie and end up slaves to sin where we come in a similar we are in the same position. You can condemn Adam, but we've all done the same thing. And we are slaves to sin when we believe that lie. And you see it in the world itself. If we just take God out of the picture, everything will be brilliant. Boy, haven't we done a marvelous job of it? So we take God out of the picture and we say the world is going to be this perfect place. So you look on the news and you just see perfection, don't you? Everywhere. No wars, no hardship, no selfishness, no greed. We don't see any of that. That's why we're crying, thy kingdom come. Because when the king comes, it will be a very different place. No pain, no suffering in that time. 
But, but here we are, God's people in God's place under God's rule. And it's all, uh, it all goes pear-shaped. They're out of the garden. And it, it looks lost. But God continues to show grace to people. Ultimately, God says to Abraham, uh, you follow me and I will bring you and your people and I'll make you into a great nation, into a land. Be like saying, we'll start again. There'll be a people, there'll be a land under God's rule. This is my intention. This is the kingdom of God. God's people in God's place under God's rule. And so we work this through and we see um, how Israel uh, take possession of a land ultimately. I- ironically, Abraham died uh, with two children, two descendants, and only one of them was a child of promise. But God, of course, is true to his promise. And ultimately, the descendants of, of Abraham are as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the sea. God fulfills his promise. And uh, they go into the lands. And uh, uh, they take possession of the land after Egypt. And uh, we, we find that as they're in the land, there's still brokenness. So in the book of Judges, it's interesting. Uh, there's this phrase that's used over and over again. There was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So you're reading it, you're saying, if only we had a king, a perfect king, everything would be okay. And then the kings come, Saul and David, and after David, Solomon, and then Solomon's two sons. And It's not perfect. The kingdom splits in the time of Solomon's sons. And then the kingdom, uh, well, some of them go into captivity to begin with, to uh, uh, nations above them, and then to Babylon. Uh, where they go into captivity, and then they come back again. And you're always saying, where, where is this perfect king? And the people come back to the land again. And all this time, God is speaking. And God says, uh, even in the time of Moses, it's Moses who speaks and says, the Lord will, will raise up a greater prophet than me. You need to listen to him. And then the prophets speak, and they speak of somebody who is going to be born a king of, an, of the line of David people of Abraham through whom, whom all the nations will be blessed. And they, they, they start to speak more and more specifically. So they talk about his ministry and they talk about his character. Isaiah 9 t- uh, refers to him as walking in Galilee, which is interesting. Uh, Galilee of the Gentiles being honored, uh, that, that, that uh, he would, uh, they would be honored. But, but the phrase that she used, to us a, a child is born, to us a son is given, the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor everlasting father whoa a king is going to be born amongst us who would be called everlasting father and if you have any more doubt mighty God Isaiah 7:14, Emmanuel his name will be called which means God with us and you're thinking when will this king come he will be born in Bethlehem and even the scribes and Pharisees could work that out born in Bethlehem. He's going to be the great king that God had promised. He'd walk Galilee of the Gentiles and he'd preach the kingdom of God. There'd be nothing bad in him. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace would be his name. Emmanuel, God with us, would be his name. And then we read Isaiah 53 that he would give his life. The servant would suffer and then see the light of life and be satisfied. And, this is a phrase that's wonderful, by that would justify many. In other words, others would be declared righteous because of what he has done. And isn't that why we're remembering this? It's because of what Jesus has done. 
that we have this living hope. And so we come into the kingdom. And we come under the rule of God. And we come as a people. And then we're told that we've got a place as well. But uh, you might have an English passport or a British passport. You might not have a British passport. But according to Philippians, those who believe are citizens of heaven. So whatever your citizenship here, you have a greater one if you belong to Jesus Christ because you're a citizen of heaven. You're part of a kingdom that lasts forever. And it's that kingdom that Jesus is referring to here. He's wanting us to understand something about that kingdom and about how wonderful it is. So this king who goes to death and, and is raised from the dead uh, and sees the light of life will justify many. And we're told in scripture how, how his kingdom will be the greatest kingdom. One of my favorite passages of scripture is in Daniel 7. If you've never seen this, have a read of it sometime. And you've got the, the terrifying nature of, of kingdoms and beasts, one after another. And each one's more terrifying than one before. And you think, oh dear, what are we going to do? And then suddenly you see heaven. And there's one seated on the throne. And then the Son of Man comes into the throne. And he is given authority over the nations his kingdom will know no end. And you're thinking to yourself, what a great picture. Just as you see in Daniel that the, um, the, the statues, the kingdoms, this great big statue that Nebuchadnezzar dreams about is a, is a picture of all the great kingdoms. But ultimately, a stone is going to come that will knock them all down. Not cut by human hands, a stone from God. And that will become a kingdom that fills the earth and becomes a mountain. And let me say to you, if you are part of that kingdom this morning, then you really are blessed. If through Christ you have come to know him and to be part of his kingdom, then you truly are blessed. If you're part of the church, the firstborn uh, from among the dead as our savior, then you are blessed indeed. Because whatever happens in this world, which is so uncertain, isn't it? You belong to a greater kingdom. Perhaps this time we got out our real passports and reminded ourselves who we belong to citizens of heaven bought by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, just to, to note on those parables because I don't want to go into great detail um, but when it comes to the kingdom we learn certain things here we learn firstly that reception to the kingdom can differ and we learn that from the parable of the seller so some people here and the devil snatches away the seed n nothing happens at all others here for a time and respond to the message and when it gets hard or when they get caught up with other things, they fall away. And, and with others, it produces fruit. And where it produces fruit, it produces great fruit. That's great fruit, not great fruit. Okay? So the first thing is re reception can, can differ one to another. The second thing is that the kingdom is opposed. This is 24 to 30 and 36 to 42 where we see the parable of the weeds. The parable is told publicly and revealed privately. So we just got, I just read the, 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 the words of Jesus where he explains the parable. And here we see gospel work has opposition because the enemy plants seeds. There's weeds sown among the weeds. The expression of the kingdom of God here is not yet perfect. Okay? So if you're looking for the perfect church, this isn't it. But the one that you might leave this to go to will also not be it. And the one that you might leave that to go to will also not be it. If you're looking for the perfect church, then ultimately you need to pray, come Lord Jesus, because only then will we see 
the perfect church. The church up there is pretty good. The one down here is not perfect because there's weeds among the weeds. And sometimes because in our own heart there's a few more weeds than we care to admit as well. So that's the way it is here. So it's not without opposition. But it is, 31 to 35 in Matthew, growing and effective like the mustard seed that grows and becomes this great tree that fills the earth. We don't see many mustard seed trees here. If you're in different parts of the world, you'll know something about this. I had to go to Google to see a picture of what a mustard seed becomes because uh, I have no idea here. Um, but it's growing and it's effective and it starts small but becomes massive. The work of God is to grow both in our lives and in our communities. And if you're signed on to the kingdom, you're signed on to the growing church. Being part of that. Um, I have a gospel community in, in my house um, as part of a church that we're meeting in our home. And we just want to make the gospel known to people in Rock Ferry, which is a, a kind of a working class, fairly rough part of Burke, South Birkenhead. Apparently our, our claim to fame is we're the first place in Europe to have metal, metal shutters on the shops. That was, that's to give you some idea of Rock Ferry. It's not, not terrible, but it's, you know, it's, it's, and, and our, our problems are, we have a lot of broken relationships, a lot of um, drug and alcohol addiction as part of that as well. And just poverty, generally, is something that people struggle with those things. Uh, so we're, we're at work in this, in this community. Uh, we started with eight people. Uh, we've now got about 14. But we've seen about 10 people come to faith and actually serve God elsewhere as well. Now, for me, that's kingdom growth. It doesn't matter whether we're with, with me. It matters they're with Christ. God bless them if they're serving him in other places. We're still close. We still encourage each other. We still share stories. Um, one of the stories that, uh, I met with him last week is a guy called Mark who lives down my road. And uh, I'll, I'll bring this to an end in a minute. But let me tell you the story of Mark. Mark is one of these people. Um, well, he, he just started reading the Bible. I, I was doing a weekend away with the church and sharing with them uh, the, the centrality of the gospel, really, that we need to preach the gospel message. And I was working this through, and uh, a guy came to me and said, that's what my friend Mark needs to hear. He's been reading the Bible, he can't put down, uh, but he hasn't really got the gospel yet. So I said, oh, that's interesting. Where does Mark live? Rock Ferry. Okay, that's interesting. That's where I live. Where, which road does he live in? My road. <laughs> Happens just the other end of my road. So um, I, I said, well, tell him there's somebody at the other end of the road. I'd love to speak to him. I left it there. Nothing happened for six weeks. I said to my home group, pray for me, because I'm going to knock on his door, and I don't want that. Thing. So I'm, I'm not the world's best evangelist, please don't get me wrong here. And so I, I knocked on this door down the end of my road, and a young lad answered. And, and, I, and my opener was this. I said, hi, I believe there's somebody in this house who's been reading the Bible. As if I'm like the Bible police, and I've come to investigate what's going on. Like, how dare you do this? And uh, this lad just looked terrified. He said, no, nobody's reading the Bible here. Like this. And, and then I explained a bit more about how I'd got to it. And he said, oh, oh, that's my dad. He's become dead biblical. That's his words, not mine. And I said, that's really interesting. So, so that night, I met with this guy, Mark. And I said, well, when they say dead biblical, what do you mean? He said, well, I just I read it over and over. How long have you been reading it? Two years. Okay. Well, where have you got to? He said, well, I've, I've read it seven times through. Well, six, sorry, six times through, and I'm on my seventh now. Now, that made me stop and wonder, because I've now got somebody in my home community who has no Christian background at all, but has only got his understanding from reading the Bible six times through, and I was on the seventh. 
I said to him, what have you discovered simply from reading the Bible? Do you know what he said to me? He said, I have discovered that God is about building a kingdom that lasts forever. That Jesus is central to that kingdom. And if I could be part of that kingdom, then that would be the most wonderful thing on earth. And if I'm not part of that kingdom, then that's the most terrible thing on earth. He said, I'm not sure how I get into the kingdom. He says, because I read the Bible, and at first it seems to be about the resurrection of Jesus, but then there's more talking about the death of Jesus. So I'm a bit confused about how you get into the, the kingdom. I said to Mark, well, I know you read it, so I said, let's, let's, um, let's meet next week, and you read, you read the book of Romans. That might help you. So we met next week, and he said, I, I read Romans, but I wanted to get it in context, so I read John, Acts, Romans, 1 and, one and 2 Corinthians. Only Mark can do this. And he said, I've got it. It is through both the, the death of Jesus for our sins and the resurrection of Jesus as King of kings and Lord of lords that the kingdom of God comes to us. I said, what does that mean for you? He said, I'm in. And I'm all in. Baptized Mark soon afterwards and one of his sons, the one who answered the door to me. Uh, the whole family now, apart from one, he's got three lads, are going to church uh, on a regular basis. And you just thank God for what he does and the kingdom growth that we can see. So uh, to, to close this, um, there are two other things. The kingdom of God is precious. You know there's a story of the man who, who finds treasure in a field and he'll sell everything to get that field. In other words, he's saying this is more important than anything else. And likewise, um, the, the man who finds the pearl of riches for us, he says, I must have this. Whatever it costs me, line in um, Lord of the Rings from Aragorn uh, they're going on this quest to try and destroy the ring, ring and he's there to try and help the ring bearer and he says this, if by my life or my death I might serve you you have my sword and I think for the kingdom it should be like that for us the kingdom matters and it matters so much that we should be prepared to say this is more important than life itself where I live, Bill Shankly says, football is not a game of life and death, it's more important than that. No, 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 no. But there are some things that are more important than that, worth living for and worth dying for. Because ultimately, at the end of the age, the fullness of the kingdom will be revealed. And on that day, if you're part of the kingdom, then you get to see the glory of the king as you've never seen him I'm guessing for most of you who are here at Christians, you've had moments either when you read scripture or when you pray or when you're in worship where you just see something of the excellence of God and of Jesus Christ and you're sort of caught up with that. Nothing wrong with that. It's a wonderful thing. But it's going to be a pale reflection of what it means to see him face to face and to be like him and to see him as he is. It's just a pale reflection. Emmanuel's language says, the king there in his beauty without a veil is seen the glory that dwells where he is and our response to that kingdom should, should be that we want everything for that kingdom likewise the the imagery of, of being of not being part of that kingdom is terrible is absolutely horrific we go from parable to something else when jesus talks and gives the meaning of parables as the angels will gather those who are his and then those who are not have his out of darkness it's a terrible thing not to be known by god Whatever that imagery is, let me tell you, just as the imagery of heaven is wonderful and the reality would be more wonderful, the imagery is horrible. 
world to be more like Christ and not see the glory of him. And so to close, verse 52, those who understand these things bring out all sorts of treasure. Because we understand the kingdom from the Garden of Eden, but we understand it too in the rule of Christ. And we understand the future and the return of Christ and the glory of the kingdom that is to come. We understand the promise of a Messiah, but we understand its fulfillment in Jesus. And we understand the ultimate fulfillment when he shall reign forever. We understand the coming of the king in his glory, but we understand also the suffering of the king in his glory. But we also understand the vindication of the king where he is raised to life as king of kings and lord of lords. We understand the glory of belonging to him and the horror of not belonging to him. So those who understand these things have a lot of treasures in the storehouse to bring out one way or another. Let me close with Matthew 6 verse 33. We're back in the Sermon on the Mount again. And you will know these words well. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. The word I would emphasize there, not the scripture here, but me, is just the word first. Because I wonder how often is that the truth for us? I've got a list of things that I'm interested in. And within them is the kingdom of God. And it's about, I don't know what it's like for you, three or four or five. You know, and if you ask me, I'd say I know it should be number one. But in reality, Jesus has to say to his people, seek ye first the kingdom of God. This is what matters. Treasures in heaven is what matters. And those treasures will be the lives of those that you've influenced. And those lives that you've made a difference to. And seeing people in glory from down your streets or people whom you've labored with, the people you've preached the gospel to. Nothing better than them. I preached the gospel in work once when uh, I was analyzing steel under, my, under a microscope. And uh, I've got 20 pieces of steel under a microscope. And the clip that hold them burst open. And I said, oh, pants. And the guy who was with me said, you don't swear, do you? And he said, why? I said, well, I don't really see the need. Said, but also I'm a Christian. It says about not foul language. But else. I try not to do that. And he said, well, what do you mean a Christian? So as I'm making another steel sample, I shared with him what a Christian was. A guy called Dave. Thought no more of it. Got nowhere. Left and went to Bible college. Uh, but two years later, I went back to a Christian event, a youth event. Dave was there. Now, Dave's 45. I don't know what he's doing at a youth event. Um, but it was a Christian youth event, so I said to him, what are you doing here? And he said, oh, I've become a Christian. So I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, the time when you shared with me with a microscope, do you remember that? And I said, vaguely, yeah. And he said, well, I went away and I thought about it. He said, it reminded me of my childhood, uh, how I'd um, responded to God in my childhood but turned away. And he said, I decided I need to be right with Christ again. So I gave up shift work so I could be out on Sundays and be part of the church. And he said, no, I said, no. What a wonder it, it is to be part of that kingdom. And if, if, if you're this morning, if you're challenged by those words, seek first the kingdom of God, and you think they're hard words, just think back to this and remember what Jesus did for the kingdom. And remember that he had done nothing wrong. He is eternal God. He's not the receiver of some grace on a one-off basis. He is the one who's the giver of grace. He laid down his life for us. And when we say, 
actually it's a little bit inconvenient to get up in the morning or to pray this morning or to read the Bible. Have a think about this. Think about what it means. And ask yourself again. Uh, set, set, apart, set apart in your heart Christ Jesus as Lord, says Paul. What a challenge that is to us. Set apart in our hearts Christ Jesus as Lord. I've gone on for too long, so I'm going to close in prayer if that's all right. And just uh, as, we, as we do that, just um, consider those words. Seek first the kingdom of God. And re- remind yourself what a joy it is to be part of that. And I'll conclude this in just a second. You've been listening to the podcast from Withington Christian Church. For more information, go to withingtonchristian.church.